Welcome to Misty Night, a podcast exploring the doubts and concerns that arise around Christianity. I'm Nick Petkoff. I'm Andy Yetter. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, we invite you to join us on this journey as we navigate the misty nights of doubt and uncertainty. Faith isn't about your ability to muster a belief out of nothing. It's our hope that through the process of exploring doubts, asking questions, and searching, you'll build a personal faith that is tangible and reliable. So let's take another step on that journey right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Misty Night Podcast. My name is Andy Yetter. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am once again joined by my good friend, Nick Petkoff. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have some discussion and some banter today. Yeah. So I'm curious, Nick, how, are you a, are you a Simpsons fan? Have you watched a lot of The Simpsons? Mm, I feel like if you've grown up anywhere in the West, it's pretty impossible to not get exposed to The Simpsons at some level. <laughs> I know this is a weird kind of start for like a theological, <laughs> like, you know, apologetics podcast to talk about The Simpsons, but I, I promise it's going somewhere. Oh, it's a goldmine of stuff, though. I think just the, <laughs> the nature of it taking, you know, current hot topics and trends is just, uh, it gets everyone involved into it. I think it's really cool for that. But I definitely remember seeing it, you know, when I was really young and my parents would watch it. But then, you know, at that age, you're just not interested. They're just much better, much better, more entertaining and colorful cartoons to be watching than the Simpsons when you're younger. I remember I was very interested in it because my parents told me I wasn't supposed to watch it. Oh, <laughs> yes. The temptation of any oh. child is to told not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I still, ultimately, I didn't watch a ton of it. But, you know, all the same, there's still, like, as you mentioned, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And some of it's, you know, political hot topics of the time, cultural items. This one is just kind of coming from a previous episode of The Simpsons where they talk about a theological question, uh, in particular, where Homer is asking Ned Flanders, hey, could Jesus microwave a burrito so hot that even he couldn't eat it? Which is kind of a funny, silly version of the, uh, can God make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? Absolutely. And it's relatable. I don't know about the burrito, but I've definitely done that to Hot Pockets numerous times. <laughs> so I know I know it's kind of a, uh, this is probably different than our normal kind of, we'll say, apologetic theological conversations, but I wanted to bring it up because I feel like I think it covers a couple different things that do serve as stumbling blocks for Christians, both in the terms of how we can dissect paradoxes, but also just getting down to the core of, you know, what is God's abilities? What's Jesus' abilities? You know, where where do we draw the line between you know what god can do what jesus can do and what is the trinity you know so there's there's lots of really deep theological meaning kind of buried in this whole you know very we'll say at surface level silly paradox yeah and it's it's something that if you haven't heard the question you're going to hear it at some point right this is one of those ones at least to me feels like it's meant to be more argumentative a lot of these questions come from um a side that doesn't necessarily have a background or a belief or, and they kind of like look for ways to, you know, attack a belief or, you know, foundation that you have. And so I think this is this kind of question everyone runs into, or it's just for personal, it's good to like, you know, be able to wrestle with these kinds of things and to be prepared. Yeah. So, so for the specific question at hand, could Jesus microwave a burrito so hot that even he couldn't eat it? You know, I'm going to probably take a step back from that it's the specifics of that question we'll circle back around later you know and maybe I'll, I'll focus a little bit on just paradoxes in general we'll say and and really the concern that at least i see is you know i think 
as you mentioned, some people will throw paradoxes at the Christian faith to be like, look how illogical your your beliefs are. <laughs> and and that can be a stumbling block for some folks because again, a paradox is inherently, you know, gonna be a little confusing. Mm -hmm. Some people I think fall into the trap though of saying, oh, a paradox is therefore a contradiction. And there's a really good, I don't know if I call it a book or it's, I have, it's an audio book I listen to. I don't know if it's actually a physical hard copy book or if it's like just a series of lectures by R.C. Sproul called Defending Your Faith. It's like an overview of apologetics. But he does a really good job of breaking it down into three different categories of like, there's a paradox, there's a mystery, and then there's a, then there's like a contradiction. Mm. And I'm going to kind of quote verbatim from some of this stuff here just so I don't mess it up too much. But he says, paradox is an apparent contradiction that under closer scrutiny yields resolution. Mystery is something unknown to us now, but which may be resolved. And a contradiction is a violation of the law of non-contradiction. So it's impossible to be resolved either by mortals or by God. You know, it's just, you know, if you, if you have a non-contradiction, like that's a problem. Mm. And, or sorry, if you have a contradiction, that's a problem. And ultimately that's where I think people get caught up is they hear a paradox and think, oh no, my faith is contradictory and therefore it's, it's false. Mm. So I like breaking down that definition that R.C. Sproul did, because it's like, well, paradoxes are actually fine in some ways, and they should actually drive us towards a resolution and a truth. Absolutely. And hopefully that's where we're headed today. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good place to start, is just how important definition is, especially when you're getting down to, like, how you use terms and um, what they mean. And it can, yeah, kind of give you almost a defeatist attitude, right? Because like you said, when, uh, with a contradiction, there's not necessarily a solution to be found there, right? And so you want to be really careful not to label something a contradiction when it's not, because then all kinds of progress or opportunity to grow is just stopped right there. And yeah. so paradox is one of those better words that you run into that one, you know, be hopeful. There's a way to get through that one and navigate that. And so that should be encouraging, if anything else. So, so first off, as we talk about then jumping back to the topic at hand, could Jesus microwave a burrito so hot that even he couldn't eat it? First, we assume that we can make a we can make a burrito that can get anything infinitely hot. You know, I think this this question kind of in itself has a number of other sub steps in it. Mm. Maybe again taking it maybe another step back is using a simplified can God create a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it? Kind of as our baseline conversation. We can talk some of the nuances of a, a microwave and burrito later. <laughs> um, but talking about, you know, we'll say the definition of, hey, could God make something so heavy that even couldn't lift it? You know, what what's causing the problems here? Like from a paradox standpoint, like why why is this a paradox? Right. And I guess um, you really already framed it really well with, you know, um, using the rock metaphor instead. But a real quick shot to just kind of sink this paradoxical ship is to instead say, is it possible for such a burrito to be created that God couldn't eat it? If we take into account, you know, the laws of the universe and characters of God against each other, and just to kind of deal with that logical fallacy that it presents itself, right? Um, not that I would stop there. I think that robs us the chance to explore that line of questioning in a more useful way. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of how you want to start from this point, do we start with is there just pointing out the the fallacy of the argument at all, or do we take it a step further and try to start with what it's really asking? Is there anything God cannot do? And I think it's, I think you mentioned this earlier too. So like talking about definition and fallacy. So definition fallacy, we kind of start there, right? The idea is like when we say, can God do X, Y, Z, right? Usually inherently as a Christian faith, we're saying God has certain attributes. One of them being omnipotence. This gets called out in multiple places in the Bible. It actually isn't directly like the word omnipotence doesn't show up in the Bible, but you get things like almighty, you get things like, you know, God creates everything. You get enough references that I think omnipotence is therefore assumed. 
so we, we, we say God is omnipotent, so all powerful. Mm-hmm. So like that's part of our definition of who God is. Right. Yeah, and that's a, a really good point. Um, yeah, defining who God is and how we understand God, right? And so if we say that God can do anything, and I mean, literally in scripture we get with God, all things are possible, just, you know, right off the bat. And so we have to look at like other limitations that come into play inside of that box we create, right? And so does the question that was asked in line with God's character, even though he is able to do it, would he do it? Well, and this is where we get into the actual paradox of things, right? Because you mentioned, and this is what I think would trip some people up, with God, all things are possible. So someone would say, well, okay, if all things are possible, then God should be able to make a rock heavier, so heavy that he can't lift mm-hmm. it. That should be possible. But this is where like people get, will get tripped on this because this is, this is the paradox element of mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, you know, it, it's a definition problem because you're saying uh, that God is so powerful, he's all powerful, that nothing can be more powerful than him. Right? He's all powerful. So can God create something more powerful than him? Well, by definition, there is nothing more powerful than him. So no, he can't. You know, like there, he can't make something more powerful than him because by definition, there, that, that, that's not a concept that exists. Right. And it can just keep going from there. Right. And you can just like <laughs> endless examples to use in that kind of situation. And, and that's why it's like, so I, I kind of stepped away to the rock because I think the rock is easier for us to conceptualize. But the same thing, if we jump back to the burrito conversation, right? The whole mm-hmm. idea is, can God create something that is more, quote unquote, powerful than he is? Um, and in this case, power means, you know, heat of a burrito. <laughs> right. Um, but can he do that? And it's like, well, no, by definition, he's all powerful. What gets interesting with the Simpsons question specifically is we say, can Jesus make a burrito so hot that even microwave a burrito so hot that even you can't eat it. Right. And that's a much better approach to take because we're in a discussion about it being who, regardless of where you stand on belief perspective, like you said, is described as an all powerful, all knowing, and you know, so on being. And so when you're taking something inside the realm of this box, a reality that we're in where burritos and microwaves exist, and then applying it to something outside that box, you know, it doesn't make sense. And there's all kinds of mental gymnastics at that point, trying to make things fit logically. <laughs> so even if we suspend some disbelief and say, okay, imagine that, you know, Jesus, you know, God could make a microwave. They could have a burrito in, 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 in Jerusalem, whatever, right? Like whatever, there's a number of disbelief we'll have to go through, but for the sake of just intellectual debate, could Jesus make a burrito so hot that even he could eat it? Well, I think this then comes down to the conversation about who is Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? When we talk about God, it's pretty straightforward, as we just said, from a from a definition fallacy standpoint. If, if God's all-powerful, then no, he can't make anything more powerful than him. And, it, and that's not a limitation to God's power. That's just, by definition, we've said nothing can be more powerful than God. So, you, no, he can't make something like that. That becomes a an illogical statement. Hmm. But for Jesus, where we have, we'll say, physical, you know, fully man, Jesus, this is where I think some people get confused and it starts to like make people scratch their heads a little bit. Because the question is, well, who was Jesus? You know, did he have limitations? For those that maybe have been Christians a little bit longer, they might have heard a term called kenosis, where God, that Jesus empties himself. Mm-hmm. And that kind of could lead to some other confusions of, well, you know, was God, was was Jesus omnipotent like God? Was oh, he yeah. able to, you know, teleport? Was he like, what, what, what where, where's his powers and, you know, what was the limitations? Then that's like, yeah, that's a huge topic in and of itself. We go down that. A whole nother probably episode on Gnosis of Christ and everything. But I think the shift to Jesus makes a lot of sense because we, it's kind of the only example we have that's both fully outside and inside the box. 100%, yeah. Yeah. 
So from a from a paradox standpoint, it's it's like it's funny. You might initially just be like, ah, this is just a silly, stupid question from The Simpsons. But you know, you can actually actually sink a little bit of your teeth into it theologically speaking and be like, oh well, maybe. <laughs> and I'm not saying this in a way that kind of condescend anybody, right? But people come, you know, in the Christian faith from various different ways, and there's certain things like what the nature of Jesus, right? That people will develop their own opinions on, you know, what kenosis means and who Jesus was. And they're not all biblical beliefs. And that's, we'll say that's common Mm. (laughs) in the sense that when left to your own devices and left to what you think makes sense, you might easily start making some assumptions about who Jesus was. And that's why it's really important for us to look back at, you know, the history of the church, look back at, you know, all of our reflections and, you know, stand on the shoulder of giants before us and kind of see, you know, based on Bible and based on really all these doctrines of Christian belief over the years, what what does the Christian church say about who Jesus was? Yeah, and I can take a first stab at that a little bit and we can go from there because there's all kinds of places we could probably use to build that because, you know, Jesus, while being fully divine, you know, i.e. God, during much of his time on earth, he also, as you mentioned, kenosis, he emptied himself and we got... Uh, Philippians 2, 6 and 7 is pretty much where all of that comes from. And I'll read it just for context. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so pretty much the first part of that passage tells us Jesus is equal to God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, right? And the yeah. second part is tells us he's very much became a man here on earth and those are pretty clear cut but then right in between those two statements we get the he emptied himself line and that one is where we really have to be really careful when we start defining things because what he emptied himself of is really important and um, 100%, yeah. it's at least my understanding um there's a lot of different ways you can go about this is that he didn't empty himself of deity and I get that from um, a conclusion that because Paul, the very same author of Philippians, um, says quite the opposite in Colossians 2, 9, where he says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so I didn't really picture that as, you know, God losing his deity necessarily. Um, But instead, and this I got from uh, MacArthur, so I stole it a little bit, but it's more likely that it was kind of a loss of glory, as Jesus himself was recorded to have said in John 17, 5, where Jesus basically mentions a glory he previously had prior to becoming human. And this will be the last verse I throw out as I'm preaching here. And now, Father, <laughs> glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So, but not all the glory was emptied either, you know. John 1.14 says that those who saw with their own eyes, they saw Jesus' glory on earth. So that's probably how I would like break that down for our Jesus who's going to heat the burrito kind of definition. <laughs> I, think, I think that's rock solid, right? Like those are great biblical supports. And, it, and just to throw on top of that, then there's a quote from, and I'm going to maybe butcher his last name, but John Walverd, and, and he had a definition that I liked. Um, but he basically says the act of kenosis may be properly understood to mean that Christ surrendered no attribute of deity, but that he did voluntarily restrict their independent use in keeping with his purpose of living among men and their limitations. 
And it's interesting that we talk, bring all this up, right? So like, the whole idea of Kenosis emptying himself, this kind of ties back into our previous thing, though, of definition, right? Where we said God can't create anything better, bigger than him because he's by definition all power. Right. To that same end, you know, can he still be God if he makes himself less than God? And I think that's kind of one of the, also we'll say a theological point of, well, yeah, no, so, so Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man because he couldn't make himself less than God. Mm. Like that's, that also then makes him just not God anymore. And we, and we say that you, you could really start stretching into some really weird, like divine metaphysics kind of stuff about how God's outside of time and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. We won't get into all that. <laughs> but I think it's just interesting where, like, you know, the very thing we started at the beginning of saying, yeah, God can't make anything bigger than him. Well, I think it's also can't lower himself to be less than God either. Right. Like he's always going to be fully God. I feel I, I feel ourselves getting closer to that mystery definition you mentioned earlier. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the Trinity is another one of those great things where it's like this starts, it all starts to come down to like the hypostatic union, the nature of, you know, the Trinity mm -hmm. and what is the nature of God? How does God exist, you know, beyond time? And this is where like, I, and I really do appreciate R.C. Sproul basically saying it's a mystery, right? Because the paradox, you can kind of get to a resolution, which I think is what we're getting to. With things like the Trinity, we can kind of say that it makes sense, that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but there's an element of it's like, by definition, we're saying it kind of exists beyond our ability to understand. But I won't dive into all the mm -hmm. mysteries of the Trinity stuff, but uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good way to say a, a, good, a good tie in for that what a mystery is. Yes, I think that's a good point. Um, so don't be hopeless. We've moved into a little bit of a mystery, but we haven't forgotten about the paradox, and that's where we're going to find our resolution. <laughs> it's not hopeless. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's fun too. So, like with the paradox and going back to that, right? So we've kind of defined what I'm like God and he's omnipotent. And then we're saying we define Jesus as being fully God and fully man. So, we've kind of gotten the pieces together that we need. But I want to take, before we move kind of on to like a logical conclusion of the paradox, mm. I did want to at least say this is where some people, though, get confused, right? There's, we'll say it's even a relatively recent kind of non biblical belief where people say they believe that Jesus actually emptied himself of his divine attributes. Mm. And that's a relatively recent thing. I think it's called like Canossicism or something like that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to point it out as an example of you might in your head think that makes sense that he would be, you know, he limited his ability to be able to, you know, be all powerful. Like he emptied himself of his power. But we tread in really dangerous territory when we start making those kind of decisions, like thoughts and um, statements about who Jesus was just based on our own understanding. That's right. It's really important for us to have a grounded biblical view of Jesus. Yes, that that's a really important point to make. And even as we've defined, you know, Jesus is fully God and fully man so that we can ask the question, basically, is there anything Jesus can't do? And that, you know, if we take if that he is also God without sacrificing aspects you just basically laid out that we would say no. But I think it's also important that even though God or Jesus in this case, I'm already getting mixed up, <laughs> um, maintained all of that power the real important point that Jesus was man in the first place was a relatable point for us. Cause that's just, it's incredibly important to like the gospel and everything that God was, Jesus was able to relate to us. And so even though Jesus had that power, often it's example to others, he wouldn't rely on that God power factor, right? I mean, we have examples where he would ask the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit and not his own power to achieve some miracles, like casting out demons. And uh, I think that's, I don't have that reference down, Matthew, um, where he casts out demons by the spirit of God is the phrasing. 
ensure the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so, even though we had that power, this definitely goes through other ways to use it, right? It's a great call out too, because like how much more powerful is the death on the cross when Christ had the power to get off of it anytime he wanted to? Mm. But he stayed on it because that was part of God's will, and it's because that's how much he loved us that he wanted to pay that price for our sins. Right. It was so important that he was just very much like like you and I, and he's just grew through the stages from being a child to a man. And there was one big difference in that he didn't sin. And that had really important ramifications. But otherwise, a singular difference was to just to relate on us on such a common ground, but you know, still be that savior that we needed. Yeah. So it went down that tangent long enough. Um, so hopping back to the, the paradox at hand then. So we've talked about kind of how we define God. We've talked about how we define Jesus. So if we kind of go back to our question then of, you know, could Jesus being fully God, microwave a burrito so hot that even he couldn't eat it. Well, as this kind of then goes back to our question of could God do something that he couldn't handle? And the question is basically no, like, like that breaks the definition of, you know, what it means to be God with maybe the only nuance existing, and I'd be curious to understand, see if this is, if you agree with me or not on this. And maybe it's more of a technical thing, but Jesus in his submitting to the will of the Father and in his restricted use of his divine attributes, it's not that he could not microwave a burrito so hot that he could not eat it, <laughs> but that he would not if it was not in the will of the Father. <laughs> yes. So. If it was the will of the Father, he had the power to, right? Like, couldn't be more powerful. Mm -hmm. But in his kind of, you know, talking about just Jesus specifically, existing as a, a man, it just depends then what restrictions were there for then kind of in the will of the Father that Jesus would not exercise his divine attributes for. Right. And I mean, Jesus gives us, Jesus says it himself, right? I mean, when he's, you know, praying in the garden before going to the cross, which he clearly doesn't want to do when it's, you know, quite stressed about as he's sweating literal blood and he has the power to do it and to even ask God, if there's another way to go about this, that would be great because uh, this is going to be terrible. And it, it was, but your will be done. And so even though Jesus had that power, yeah, wouldn't have done it. So, so I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm just going to answer this question as a no. Only because I can't th see a very good theological reason why Jesus would, A, have to make a microwave mm. and then also a burrito that'd be so hot that he could eat it that would be in such a way that it's in the will of the Father. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that, no, I don't think that's possible. I'm going to go out on this risky theological branch and just right? say no. <laughs> I like the really <laughs> rational approach that even if he could, would he? Like what? Yeah. God's will is to create such a burrito. Mm, not likely. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a, a great new you know revelation <laughs> maybe one day in heaven we can talk about it right maybe it wasn't a burrito maybe it was a hot pocket all along and we yeah. missed the question <laughs> all right well excellent I, we've been talking for a while about nonsense but hopefully throughout all of this there's been some good theological you know concepts and grounding and you've been able to glean a few things out of this whoever's been listening in I, I definitely found this to be kind of a, a fun exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, initially I thought this was going to be really simple, and then it got into some really good, you know, theological discussion. So I, I'm, I, I'm glad we discussed it. 
yeah, I'm really excited to get this question in the future. And so, you know, I can talk more about burritos and logical fallacies <laughs> and yeah. And I hope that was more engaging uh, to listen to instead of a whole dump of theological information. It's a good time. <laughs> oh man, this is, that's a good point. We should, we should start, just start correlating all, you know, theological conversations the about burritos. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Food, food in general. Like burritos <laughs> Mine's getting closer to lunch. So here I am just uh, <laughs> stuck on the burrito wishing I had it. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. This has been the Misty Night Podcast. Thank you so much. Hope you have a blessed day and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Misty Night. Want to join in on the conversation? Join our community on Facebook and let us know what you thought of the episode or what other questions or topics you'd like to hear us address. We want to work and grow together with you. So join us next time as we take the next steps on this journey to understanding in a world of questions. Thank you.